I'm going to quote a passage of Scripture to you. It's found in Luke chapter 5, 13 verses, but I want you to listen to one part very specially. It came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret, saw two ships standing by the lake, and he entered into one of them, which was Simon's, and bade him thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. You see, it's perfectly scriptural to sit down and preach. On this trip, I've had to do it. I just don't have that strength I used to have. Well, friends, it's a delight. It's a delight to hear Joshua. My first week in Brazil, they had a picnic in the honor of my wife and myself coming to Brazil or going to Brazil as a missionary. I had two missionaries there, Byron McCartney and Dale Barton. And neither one of them had ever pastored. I'd already built two churches, so I had some experience, and they were anxious for me to get there, and they had a picnic, and Joshua and his wife were there. Joshua was a young man, young Presbyterian. His father was a Presbyterian preacher. His wife was a member of our church, church that I pastored right after I got there. So he came to church with his wife. I had the privilege of baptizing him, and I watched him. And I've watched him through the years, and I've seen God's hand on him. But you know, there's a reason for it. Behind every young preacher like Joshua, there's someone that took him to church. I went to seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, Baptist Seminary. One of my professors was a great evangelist. He was holding a meeting in the southeastern part of our country. Somebody invited a couple of boys to go to church. Those two boys got saved. One of them was Billy Graham. There were there was a church in Lynchburg, Virginia had a young preacher. I held meetings for him. And uh, somebody invited a couple of boys to go to church. They went to that church there. They were meeting at a Coca-Cola building. It was the founder of that church. Jerry Falwell was not the founder. But a couple of young boys were invited to church. Two of them were saved. One of them was Jerry Falwell. The other was his sidekick that he had all the years that he was in the ministry. There might be somebody here this morning, a young man, that God would touch their heart. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what God's going to do. But let me tell you, God's still on the throne, and he's still doing things. Now this morning... Before I bring a little message, I want to talk to you about our country. Our country's in a mess. We have two parties, Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Neither of the parties is concerned as much for the country as they are for their party. We're living in a time when the party is more important than the welfare of the country. 
Now we're in a mess. Everything's going and really going downhill. But let me tell you something else. God's still in control. And you don't have to worry. Now, as an old preacher, having watched this country from before, from the Depression on up, before World War II, and the decline of this country, and the things that are happening in this country, I can imagine God looking down on this country and making a decision what He's going to do. You see, this election is going to be under the control of God. The Bible says that he raises up and pulls down leaders. They're there because behind the scenes, God is working through people like you. Now, I'm not a party man. Well, I'm in one of the parties, but I'm a candidate man. I think that's what we ought to do. Look for the one that maybe God wants to use. Now I'm sure as he looks down, he's thinking, what should I do? Should I bring judgment upon the United States for all of their ungodliness? Or should I show my grace and give them another chance? What's it going to be? Well, one of the two. You're going to have a part in it. Because you're going to cast a vote. I'm not going to suggest what you do. That's between you and God. But you better put your party second and your country first. Amen. And if you do, God will place the one in charge. And let me tell you, friends, whoever gets it, God can control them. Amen. So don't worry a whole lot about it. Now for a message. Matthew chapter 24 verse 32 says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. The book of Mark chapter 13 verse 28 says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. The book of Luke chapter 21 verse 29 says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Here's a a story given by the Lord. A parable is an illustration. When a preacher illustrates, it's to bring a little light upon the subject. And the Lord's going to use this. Now, why do we have that parable recorded in three of the Gospels? Now, it's not in the Gospel of John. That's the synoptic Gospel. That's the entire Bible condensed. Starts with creation ends with the coming of the Lord. But the other three picture Christ in different ways. And in these three chapters, you find a story. Repeated. When God repeats something, you better mark it down. It is very, very important. Amen. It's like you must be born again. Except a man be born again. You must be born again. Three times he told Nicodemus that. Because it's so important. The only way to heaven is to accept Christ. And when you do, you're born into the family of God. Amen. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. So something repeated three times like that has to be mighty important. Now in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 1 and 2, 
you find the Lord with the disciples at the temple. They're showing him the beautiful stones of the temple. And he said unto them, I tell you, there will not be one stone left standing on top of the other. In the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, you'll find these words. The Lord is with the disciples. They're at the temple. They're showing him the beautiful stones. He says, I tell you, there will not be one stone left standing on top of the other that not, will not be thrown down. In the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 6, they're at the temple showing the Lord the stones. And he says, I tell you, there will not be one stone left standing on top of the other. You see, those three chapters start the same way and they end the same way. And because they're repeated three times, they're really very, very important. And I especially think because of today, because of the contents. Now we're going to begin in verse 3 in the book of Matthew. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Lord, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them. Three of the chapters in the New Testament, the Gospel, tell the same story. And it's the story of the disciples coming to the Lord, perplexed, wanting to know what was really going to happen. The Lord had been saying some mighty strange things. He says, I'm going to go away, but I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll send unto you the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, they didn't know anything about a ghost. They knew about ghosts. We find that... Uh, uh, when the Lord walks on the water going toward the ship when it's in trouble, and they thought it was a ghost or spirit. They cried out for fear. But a Holy Ghost? They knew nothing about that. In the last verse of chapter number uh, 23 of Matthew, he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he says, You'll not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Strange things the Lord had been saying. And so there he is on the mountainside by himself. The disciples go to him. He's alone. Maybe they talked it over and said, you know, he's by himself. Maybe he would tell us. Maybe he doesn't want everybody to know, but maybe he'll tell us. So they went up and they asked him, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. See, that's not a sign. These are the words of the Lord. He said, For... That's a coordinate conjunction in our English language. means it's very important what he's going to say. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's one of the ten signs the Lord gave to the disciples that day. Great wars. We've only had two great wars. The turn of the 20th century. World War I 
In World War I, December the 11th, 1917, General Allenby of the British forces took the city of Jerusalem from the Turks. Soon after that, the Balfour Declaration was signed. The Jews were told they could go back to their land, but they didn't do it. They were getting rich all over the world. Oh, some went back, but not that many. They had wealth. They're not going to go and live in a desert, barren place like the Palestinian area. So they didn't go back. World War number two comes along. Moshe Dayan leads his troops. They have a, an accord. Israel becomes a nation. May the 14th, 1948. But they didn't have the city of Jerusalem. That's very important and one of the things of this message from the Lord to the disciples. Now he says you're going to have great wars. The two wars brought Israel back into existence. Now he said there's going to be famine. Never in the history of mankind have we had famine like we have right now. Because of the Middle East, all over Africa, a lot of other countries of the world, more people dying of starvation than ever before. And then he said there'll be pestilence. Look it up in your dictionary, uh, Webster Dictionary, you'll find the word pest, uh, pestilence means unusual disease. Think about all the unusual diseases we have. This latest one down in Florida, causing children to be born with defects, handicapped. All the others, cancers, 30 some other types of cancer. Mental diseases, all sorts of diseases, legionnaires coming back. Diseases we've never had before. Lord said it'll be a time of unusual disease. And then he said there'll be a time of earthquakes in diverse places. One diverse from the other. Three days ago, we had two earthquakes in Italy. A couple of weeks ago, we had an earthquake in Japan. All of them over 6.0 on the Richter scale. In the 20th century, the first 60 years, they only had 25 earthquakes over 6.0. Today, they're having one or more every single day somewhere in the world. Most of them in the water, in the seas, which is the greater part of our earth. But oh, every few weeks we hear of an earthquake in the land. Oklahoma had one the other day. Oh, I say the other day, it's been a couple of months ago now. 6.0 on the Richter scale. They said it's caused by the fracking to get gas out. It's man's fault. No, God controls everything. My goodness. But earthquakes in diverse places all over the world. Now when you go to the book of Luke, because you have to study all three of these uh, chapters to get the whole story. When you go to the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 24, it talks about how Israel is going to be compassed about with the armies. They're going to be scattered among all the nations and... Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. 
Well, when the Lord was here, they had Jerusalem. 37 years later, 70 A.D., the armies of Rome came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burned the temple, dismantled it, every stone. They say that the inside of the temple was paneled with uh, cedar from Lebanon and overlaid with gold. And when they burned the temple, the wood, the gold seeped into the stones is what they surmised happened because every stone was cast down. It was taken apart. Not one stone left standing on top of the other. And then he said, now after that, there'll be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Oh, did you know that tonight the brightest star in the heavens is man-made? It's the International Space Station. And the reason it's the brightest star, it's only 200 miles away. And the stars are millions of millions of miles away. And so you get the twinkling of a star. But if you're lucky, and you're looking up on a dark night and you see the stars, and you see one moving, it'll be the space station. The brightest star in the heavens is man-made. Did you know that man planted a flag on the moon? The United States flag is on the moon, put there by man. Signs in the sun and in the moon and on the stars. We're having solar flares like we've never had before in the sun. We've exploded water in the sun. We've done all sorts of tests on the sun to find out if we can determine how long it's going to last. Well, God's in control. It's going to last as long as we need it. Signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. Upon the earth, distress of nations. Look at what's happening over in Europe right now. Terrorism. Nations. Great Britain just separated itself from the uh, Union. They had lost their sovereignty of their borders. Oh, distress. People don't know what to do. ISIS and all the war in the Middle East. And ISIS is spreading all over the world. It's over in Indonesia. It's in China. It's in the Philippine Islands. It's all over the world. The world's in a mess. The Lord said to the disciples that day, they said, Lord, when? And Jesus answered and said, and these are the answers. Men's hearts failing them for fear. The sea and the waves roaring. You'll find all of that in Luke chapter uh, 21, beginning in verse 24. Tsunamis. They're the one that had in Sumatra. Over a quarter of a million people died. The tsunami in Japan that destroyed some of their nuclear reactors and contaminated a great part of the land. Earthquakes in diverse places. Oh, all the signs. Men's hearts failing them. That's the number one killer today. Well, as God looks down and we think about whether it's going to be judgment or grace, my hope is there's enough people faithful to God that he will do what he did for Abraham. Abraham was told of God to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and get Lot because he was going to destroy. His judgment was coming 
on Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham talked to the Lord about it. Said, Lord, if we find 50 people that are faithful to you, would you spare the cities? The Lord said, yes. Moses been, or, uh, Abraham went back to him again and said, now Lord, would you spare them if we find just 40? The Lord said, well, I'll, I'll agree to that. He went back to him again and he said, and I'm sure, I'm sure it must have embarrassed Abraham. But he said, how about 30? Yeah. 20? Yeah. How about 10? The Lord said, well, if I find 10, but there wasn't even five. As God looks down on this world today, sin on every hand, are there enough Christians that are faithful from their heart to do what their heart tells them to do? Or are they more faithful to their ideology than their country? As God looks down, he's going to say, you know, there's just not enough faithful people. They don't even have services on Sunday night hardly anymore. Hard to have anything happening all over the world. I've found such a change. I'm so thrilled to see such a crowd like this in the morning. My, what a blessing. And having evening services. Boy, the, the, I'm so pleased to have your pastors, President of BEMA, and the other two men that are on the executive board that are pastoring churches. I had the privilege of putting faith promise in their churches 40 to 50 years ago. But as God looks down, is he going to find enough? Or is he going to say, 60,000 babies killed in their mother's womb because his mother didn't want it. Less than 5% had anything to do with the woman's life. It was all birth control. The Lord said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such as is the kingdom of God. As he looks down and he sees the brutality of all the wars, ISIS and all of that, do you think maybe he's going to say, Judgment. Or is he going to say, mercy, grace, I'll give them another chance. Maybe you have a part in that right now. Maybe you're not faithful like you used to be. You've got a few weeks less left to get faithful. Maybe that would tilt the balance. You're here this morning and maybe, maybe you've never accepted Christ. You know, the most important thing, the new birth, mentioned three times. The Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, nobody, cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. Only way. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith that whosoever believeth will not be ashamed. And that's the key. 
when you reach the point that you're not ashamed to walk down an aisle or to kneel somewhere, to ask God to forgive you of your sins and to save you. If you reach that point, then he says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to conclude with this thought. Time is about to run out. The fig tree, the Lord said, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's nigh. So likewise, when you see all of these signs, all of these things that you've asked about come to pass, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation will not pass away till all be fulfilled. That's the coming of the Lord, the tribulation, and the setting up of His kingdom upon this earth. The generation that sees the signs, the earthquakes, the unusual disease, all of those things, we've all watched it in our lifetime. The generation that sees these things will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of the day and the hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, friend, are you saved? You think so? Are you sure? The Bible says you can make your election and calling sure. A lot of people think that well, if I do my best, that'll get me there. Won't do it. Takes Christ. He said, if you want to go to heaven, I'm the way. The only way. You come to Him. And He says, if you have that courage, if you're not ashamed to do it, I'll save you. All you have to do is call, ask me. I remember when I got saved, 1941, the city of Chicago, about 9.30 at night. I don't remember the preacher, the preacher, I don't remember the message, but I remember what happened. When I walked down that aisle and kneeled, nobody dealt with me. I didn't know what to do, so I just looked up, put my hands together and said, Lord, I'm a lost sheep, I want you to save me. And he saved me. My, what a change in my life. Two weeks later, I was across the wee street in another state from a house that had a little girl, beautiful young lady living there. Asked her for a date. She let me take her to church. And we were married for 71 years before she went home to be at the Lord. Amen. That's what happens when you get saved. God changes everything. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Amen.